0: welcome to 25 stocks of Christmas presented by chit chat money today we have an interview with Steve Symington and we're talking ROIC retail opportunity
1: investment Corp yes we do make we we did make some jokes about a certain financial metric that it overlaps <laughs> with the ticker uh, so if you're looking for that that's great but it's an awesome company it's a little different it's it's very a lot unique of, very unique not yeah. something we typically go over yeah it's different than a lot of the The ones that they typically go over at Seven Investing, but um, you know we like any sort of stock that people want to pitch and that thinks going to do outperform or do well for an income investor in their their portfolio. This is probably for someone that's not looking for a giant you know ten bagger. They're not trying to take a little bit of risk, but. Seems very reliable. It's going to throw off a lot of dividends for And me. I
0: always have a lot more fun when we analyze, not that there's anything wrong with the SaaS businesses, but whenever we do something kind of unique like this, where it's basically a REIT, I think it is a REIT. It is, uh, yes. It's it's just, I feel like I'm learning so much uh, because it's new to me.
1: Yeah. Different business models.
0: Fun to go over. All right. And before we get to that, we have to talk about our partnership, which Steve is a part of. Uh, It's my turn for the sales pitch. So it's $10 off. Right. That's right. $10 off your seven investing first month. And it's typically $17. So you do the math, but that's $7 for the first month. It's really good. And Steve had his pick, which was, Probably my favorite pick of the recent seven. I'm not going to say who. Go uh, use our coupon code CCM and you can figure it out for yourself. But uh, yeah, anything I'm missing here on the sales pitch?
1: Nope. Everyone knows. Sign up.
0: Yep. Here's your interview.
2: Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investment. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM media group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode.
0: Today, we are welcomed by Steve Symington, uh, lead advisor for Seven Investing, our friend and now recurring guest. I think this is what,
1: maybe third time on? If we count the group, uh, you know, the group effort with Seven Investing, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. That'd be third time, so. All right, how've you been? Good. It's uh markets keeping us on our toes. We have we have plenty yeah. to uh to to react to. So, uh it, it's it's been a good stock pickers market, I think. So.
0: Definitely. And today we are talking Retail Opportunity Investment Corp. Am I getting that right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. Yep.
0: Okay. And I've got, I've got the ticker here. I've like uh, abbreviated it everywhere in my show notes and it says ROIC. So if we say ROIC, don't get it mixed up for return on invested capital. Uh, but how did you come across ROIC?
2: Oh, yeah. So uh, retail opportunity investments, uh, I started following them. Uh, I looked back literally 10 years ago. Um, 2010 was when I first really started keeping Keeping track, paying attention, and uh, actually, if you do a little internet sleuthing, you'll probably find some old videos of me talking about retail opportunity investments, and including the first time I bought them in my own personal portfolio back in 2013. And uh, and uh, yeah, so they're uh, they're a real estate investment trust. So uh, a REIT, another one of those weird acronyms you see, REITs, uh, if you verbalize it, uh, real estate investment trusts are required by law to pay out at least 90% of their taxable income to shareholders in the form of dividends. So you usually find you know, REITs are long-term plays for income investors where dividends are key. So uh, that's no different here. Uh, it's a, it's a very specialized real estate investment trust, but yeah, started following it about 10 years ago, bought it about seven uh, years ago myself. So,
1: All right. And now we know that it's a REIT, uh, but what does ROIC specialize in?
2: So, Retail Opportunity Investments uh, focuses on buying and revitalizing grocery-anchored shopping centers in mid- to high-income markets in the Western United States. So um, basically, you know, they will keep their eyes peeled for grocery-anchored and necessity-based shopping centers in the Western U.S., and they're usually affluent neighborhoods, um, Basically, uh, that that grocery anchor part means, you know, there might be an Albertsons, you know, or a a pharmacy maybe uh, nearby or a Sprouts Market or something uh, that helps drive traffic to not only the grocery part of the shopping center, but also through all of the other portions and uh, really bolsters sales for other tenants, uh, bolsters demand for its properties. Um, But they're very geographically focused on the Western US uh, in those affluent markets. So uh, that's what that's what they do.
1: Okay. And then who are their customers? Does like a grocer come to them and they do like a partnership and a deal or they, you know, putting up all the capital and then getting some of the, or are there, are people just leasing these properties from
2: them? So yeah, they're, they're renting, they're leasing uh, the properties for them. So uh, there's actually a really nice uh, presentation from October. They put up along with their third quarter results that kind of gives a good breakdown. Uh, I think they've got 88 total shopping centers. I think it's like 10.1 million square feet of retail uh, square footage. Uh, Most of, I think over like 20% of that is grocery Tenants, uh, there's drugstores are like four uh, percent, restaurants are like eighteen percent. No, they're over twenty, I think. Uh, but a good mix of like fast casual, fast food, full service restaurants, uh, and a smattering of other retailers. But uh, what's really interesting uh, about this company in particular is that seventy eight percent of their square footage, leading into the pandemic, was occupied by what were now considered essential businesses. So it didn't fare as badly during the pandemic as many investors had feared. And uh, I think part of that is, is due to the deal making of, uh, of management. So uh, I guess one of the people at the top that you look at uh, their lead, uh, their CEO is Stuart Tans. He's best known for shepherding Pan Pacific Retail from $146 million IPO back in 1997, uh, all the way to its $4.1 billion acquisition by Kimco Realty in 2006. So in this case, there's a certain trust in the deal making and property acquisition prowess of company leadership. Uh, so that's that's a really big thing is trusting that Stuart Tans knows what he's doing and can make deals uh, when they look good. So uh, what was, you know, was a steady winner, leading up to the pandemic, and it really had like a nice juicy dividend. Um, But it temporarily suspended that payout earlier this year for understandable reasons. You know, given uncertainty surrounding the pandemic, took out a $130 million uh, loan from an outstanding line of credit as a precautionary measure. Uh, It's since paid that back. Shares soared, I think it was like almost 40% in a single day after the Q3 results because they said we're you know it basically showed told the story of like a steady recovery they said we're going to start paying our dividend again in the first quarter of 2021 uh, remains to be seen exactly where you know they bring that dividend back to but before they left i think it was a 20 cent per share quarterly dividend so right now that would yield almost six percent uh, on today's share price which is pretty healthy so uh, we can get more into the q3 results if we want to but Uh, basically a story of kind of steady recovery here from a specialized retail uh, trust.
1: Okay. And then, so how does someone like a a REIT grow? Do they take that 10% they don't pay out and then invest in new locations and then get more leases on that? Is that how they've been growing in the past?
2: You know, it depends on how they, you know, they've got pretty healthy lines of credit uh, that they can kind of utilize for acquisitions. A lot of it's acquisitive growth uh, for expanding into new shopping centers. And that's kind of where the, the management's deal-making prowess comes into play. So, I mean, they've got 88 shopping centers. I think it was something like 35 or 40 back when I first bought shares seven years ago. Uh, I could be wrong there, but, uh, a lot of it's acquisitive growth and that's something, you know, I was going to talk about this kind of later in the call, but now that we're there, um, that's something that I think I'm really watching closely is uh, is the acquisitions front. Now for, I think, you know, a couple quarters before the pandemic hit management had kind of taken a really cautious stance on acquisitions. They haven't bought anything for a long time. Um, And that's one of the reasons shares kind of pulled back a little bit in the several quarters leading up to the pandemic, because they said, you know what, we don't like this market. We're not buying new properties. And, uh, and they, obviously took kind of an even more extreme prudent stance uh, when the pandemic hit and everything kind of ground to a halt, but they did update investors during last quarter's call. Uh, Stuart Tan's actually copied a quote in here. Uh, he says, as it relates to the acquisition market after eight months of essentially no activity on the West coast, we're starting to see some property owners touched in the marketplace. So pricing parameters and expectations are largely the same as before the pandemic, especially for prime grocery anchored shopping centers needless to say we're keeping a close watch on the market with an eye toward being in a position to start uh again in 2021 depending on how things unfold so um they're they're basically keeping a close eye and they're not willing to just you know grow for the sake of growth if it's not a good deal they're not going to do it and uh, they're fine basically fostering their existing business and that's one of those things that's actually been really impressive so far Uh, as you look i think even right now it's like a 96.8 percent portfolio lease rate uh, so you have 96.8% of their properties are actually leased, uh, rent collections were a little different uh, last quarter. I think, uh, their build rent, 88.7% of build rent had, it had been collected. Uh, but that was a pretty substantial increase from like just about 82% in the second quarter. Um, 94.8% of their leased tenants actually have stores that are open right now, um, and that's, you know, saying something again during the pandemic. Uh, and the other interesting thing is they're increasing rents by double digits for those healthy uh, leased locations. Anyway, I think their uh, same space comparative base rents increased like 12.2% year over year last quarter. Um, so to be able to continue steadily increasing rents, even during a pandemic, uh, says a lot about who is leasing these locations and the health of their overall portfolio. So
1: Okay. That's, how, yeah, that's a great overview, Randy. You- yeah. I mean, I guess, is there any other
0: big, you already sort of mentioned this, but are there mm-hmm. any other big chunks to your thesis? Um, and then the other part is like, why now? Um, yeah. You know, you'd think like this is sort of a trying time or struggling sure. time for some shopping or retail businesses. So what piqued your interest about it now?
2: Um I, you know, I held on to my position kind of through all of this, knowing that it was going to be ugly uh, for a while, Uh, but I'm really impressed with how they've kind of handled everything during the pandemic and shares got smashed. You know, you can look at their chart. It is ugly. Uh, But there's a reason after their third quarter report, shares were up 38% in a day because everyone said, Oh, they're going to be fine, but it still hasn't fully recovered. I think uh, shares right now are just barely the actual share price uh, is just barely above where I bought in 2013, which is beautiful because we're talking about a much bigger business that has healthier funds from operations. Now uh, that's one of those metrics you look at with real estate investment trust funds from operations essentially gives you a good measure of their operating cash flow. So uh, in this case, 31.6 million funds from operations last quarter, that was down about 5% year over year not bad given the circumstances. So um, pretty decent cash flow here and a company that's kind of uh, watching for strategic acquisitions. I'd be very curious to see what happens to shares once they start buying properties again, uh, because I think that's going to be one of those sort of incremental votes of confidence from investors where people will celebrate it and be like, all right, we're back into growth mode. And uh, so I think, you know, we're talking about a company that you know, you look back over its decade, its 10-year return, and basically it's returned about a little, it's a little more than a double after you account for dividends, right? But it's only up like 30% when you actually look at the the share price itself. So I think once things kind of return to normal-ish, <laughs> then uh, and then I think we'll be looking at a, a much healthier company uh, which m- with much stronger cash flows, uh, much stronger funds from operations uh, growth anyway. Okay.
0: What is the, what does the balance sheet look like? Do they uh, use a lot of debt to make these acquisitions or is it mostly from their own?
2: Other All properties? Depends. Uh, they'll, they'll use a lot of debt and then pay those down. Um, uh, I, I need to actually look <laughs> right. when you now search for, yeah.
1: Maybe one quick question. Are they allowed to do share buybacks as a REIT? Um, is that something they could do to return capital to shareholders or does it all have to be done through dividends?
2: I mean, you could, uh, okay. but it's, it's really not something that you see uh, all that often. Uh, it's, you know, when you're returning, it's 90% of your taxable income is the, yeah. is the, that, you know, that they have to return in the form of dividends. So uh, a lot of dividend um, growth, but I also think at this stage, we're looking at a lot of um, potential for uh, share price appreciation as well. Uh, that could kind of further stoke returns. But again, this is one of those long-term things. As long as you're willing to hang on and uh, you know, maybe reinvest your dividends and just continue growing your stake, uh, compounding over the long-term is where this one gets really interesting. So. Okay.
0: And have we, I guess, back to the balance sheet, um, mm-hmm. judging by the interest rates over the last few years, have yeah. they increased? How much they, I mean, are they making a lot more acquisitions fueled by debt?
2: Um, yeah, it's, they, they basically take the, the capital whenever it's attractive. So, you know, it becomes a capital allocation decision. Uh, is it worth it to raise debt or use cash on hand, uh, in this case, and almost always in this, this market, these markets, it's, it's worth it to, uh, to draw on lines of credit that have really, really nice interest rates. Um, so if they are using debt to fund, you know, say they go out and buy a $30 million, uh, grocery anchored shopping center you know if, if that's entirely using uh something they've drawn from their line of credit i'm not particularly concerned about that so
0: yeah. i mean yeah it seems like a good sort of growth driver for them i mean yeah. if i was a shareholder i'd be somewhat encouraging them to do that uh, given where sure. interest rates are at
2: yeah. And uh you know I'm looking uh you know as of September 30th I just pulled up their Q3 results and uh, end of September they were looking at total real estate assets um of 3.1 billion 1.4 billion of principal debt outstanding net of cash. Uh so I mean that's what you see and that makes sense for them. You know so the it's all about you know kind of increasing cash flow and uh and and over time um you know, managing that debt. And, uh, that's, that's one of those other things that, uh, that I've watched the company over the past decade or so use the funds it had available. Um, you know, and you, you look at its, uh, its debt ratings, you know, they're all investment grade, um, you know, consistently rated one of the top retail, uh, real estate investment trusts on the market. And, uh, just a nice high quality business that's, that's focused in a very good way. Um, Especially when it comes to you know sort of this non-conventional approach to investing in retail, where you don't have to focus on a particular business. Because one of the other things you find is if you know if a tenant uh, can't afford the space or doesn't want this you know, prime real estate space, there's always somebody else willing to move in, and they can be somewhat selective because there's very high demand uh, for their spaces, and that's part of the reason they're able to uh, fairly consistently grow rents on a double-digit basis. So.
0: I think that's all the questions I have for the first half. You? Yeah, I think that's a good overview. Okay, uh, we're going to hit a quick break here, and then we'll try to poke some holes in your thesis.
2: Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one, so you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is red color. Red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked. Thanks to Advanced Security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced Security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply.
0: Welcome back in. Next up, we have Devil's Advocate. You guys know how this goes. We've got a few counterpoints, and we're going to try to let Steve refute them. I'll go first, and this is sort of... This is probably what most investors think when they look at it at first glance, which is retail space due to all the direct consumer initiatives, the online shopping, all that stuff, the retail space as a whole is in a decline. Um, would even if they are, you've said they've managed to be able to do just fine during COVID, if they overcome COVID, it they still aren't in a great industry. It's not like, you know, we just got off our interview with Simon Erickson where we were talking about cloud computing. It's like, these are two, you know, it's two different tailwinds, obviously two two very different industries, but it's like investors can choose from anything they want. Why would they uh, choose something where it's an industry that could potentially be dying?
2: Sure. Uh, I think There will always be room, Um, you know, even even when you look at uh, e-commerce, you know, market share as a percentage of overall uh, retail sales. I think, what was it? Uh, COVID might've boosted e-commerce market share to 16 or 18% of of total retail sales. Um, So yes, it's small um, as far as e-commerce goes and a lot of room to grow there. But I think the global market, well, and let's focus on the regional market in this case. Um, but the market for physical space will always be in demand um, for the foreseeable future, and I think that's something that's sort of really overstated. Um, you know, people say, "Ah, physical retail."s You know, I don't. I don't think ten years from now we're going to have no stores and be buying everything you know online and having it all delivered. Uh, it'll be more. Uh, but again, a a well focused company. Um, that employs 78% of its tenants that are considered, uh, essential retailers or essential businesses, uh, like real uh, retail opportunity investments, I think has room to survive even as other, uh, retail, um, segments don't. And, uh, I think definitely, you know, brick and mortar retail in general, um, is facing some significant challenges, but I do think uh, that there will be a market for the foreseeable future. And that's part of the beauty of it. You know, they're not stuck uh, to a particular retail concept. You know, there can be some, um, there can be some ebbs and flows when it comes to who is renting their spaces. And uh, if you even see, you know, that there's high demand for their spaces, you know, in the middle of a pandemic, (laughs) that's a, that's saying something, and I think this is something that that can be healthy and survive and thrive for a long time
1: yeah I mean if you look at the uh, e commerce penetration, I think it's around thirty percent right now, and yep. if that's in the middle of a pandemic, you got to think well, if seventy percent of retail is still in person in the middle of the covid nineteen pandemic um, i I mean I think it's safe to say that it's not going to go all e commerce eventually maybe it gets to fifty percent at some point in the next few decades, but um it's, it's not gonna be a hundred percent.
0: I also yeah. think it's an advantage that they are most of their properties are anchored to a grocery store because yes. those are yeah. less likely, in my opinion, to succeed in the e commerce space just because of the complications of delivering food. With fresh yeah. food, yeah. Right.
2: And that's not to say that there, you know, can't be some disruption there, but yeah, I think it's it's 96% of their, uh, properties are anchored by some sort of physical, uh, grocery store, uh, or pharmacy or something where people kind of still need to, to be, or still want to be. Um, and right. that's, that's going to serve to kind of prop them up, uh, as other retail concepts struggle.
1: So, yeah. yeah, definitely. All right. I'll hit my counterpoint. Uh, so, on there I was reading through their queue whatever whatever the last quarter report is, and it says that ninety five percent of their locations are open um, yeah. that means five percent are closed though if this continues you know maybe default risk over the next few years could rise a bit um, this could turn hurt ROic's ability to generate some cash. Uh, are you thinking about that at all? Does that concern you uh, with ROIC
2: not particularly uh, i I see um you know, we're talking about 95% of their, um, the stores for their tenants are open, you know, so I think they are rightly using that as a point of strength. Uh, if they can say that, you know, in the third quarter, kind of when everything's crazy and, you know, that, that's uh that is a risk, I guess, in the near term, especially as we see like cases surge and, uh, and new. Kind of lockdowns potentially or new restrictions on what people can do. Um, so that is a near term risk, I think, uh, is that we actually see that um, the number of tenants, stores, go down a little bit as a percentage of the total in the very near term. So that wouldn't surprise me uh, if we saw maybe in the, the next quarter, they say, well, okay, now we're, now we're back to about 90% of our stores are open because some of them, you know, closed. But again, you know, we're talking about almost 80% of the total is is deemed an essential retailer. So there is a floor there, uh, but I think it only gets better uh, as we move forward. And, you know, considering we're talking about, you know, I think, what did I say, 96.8% um, portfolio lease rate, you know so they're leasing those locations, and uh, you know obviously it's in their interest if the the underlying retailers who are leasing um, their physical space thrive uh, it's it's a good thing for retail opportunity investments. but I think I think yeah, more pertinent uh, as a risk goes is is whether that number goes down in the next couple of quarters as we kind of try and get a handle on the pandemic.
0: And you said most of their stores are on the west coast, right?
2: Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's geographically focused, uh, you know, a lot in, you know, California, Washington, Oregon, um, kind of over that direction. But, uh, yeah, so uh, it's It's also interesting because, um, you know, a lot of those states have been uh, a little more restrictive in what they're allowing retailers to do. And I think it also says, you know, that says something about the kind, you know, the, the portfolio of customers that they have. Uh, the couple thousand people who are leasing, a couple thousand businesses that are leasing uh, through them, that, that there's that, that many open right now. So,
1: okay. And then with them only focused on a certain region right now, do you see that as an opportunity for them to grow even just across the U.S.? Because it seems like they're focused on just a few states. Yeah. Uh, and this is a concept that could go in all 50.
2: Yeah. I mean, it could, uh, they could just as easily whether management decides it's worth, uh, maybe taking another one public or something, you know, maybe we'll have right, like right. some, some weird, like REITs back, you know, with another <laughs> confusing ticker that makes people think of investing metrics, but, uh, you know, it's there, a possibility, uh, but I think he's got his hands full, uh, with the markets as they are, and they're perfectly content. And I think, um, it also has to do which, you know, with which reason, regions they know well. And, uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, there is opportunity there, uh, but you could translate the concept pretty easily somewhere. And that would be an interesting incremental growth opportunity. They could expand that way, but I think there's, there's plenty of opportunity over the next several years for them to, to not have to even think about doing that.
1: Okay. And are they tied to malls at all? I know people may be like, all right, well, you already said that, but, uh, I think what 78% are essential businesses. I know people that are attached to malls kind of have been struggling in certain areas. Does that,
2: yeah. Um, not really. It's like when you, when you look at the, like the images of their shopping centers, it's co- sort of like you pull in and there's a grocery store and you walk outside, you go to the next store, you walk outside, you go to the next store. So, I mean, their biggest tenants, uh, if you look, I think their top 10 is uh, Albertsons and Safeway, uh, Kroger, J.P. Morgan, uh, so some banks, uh, Rite Aid, Save Mart Supermarkets, which we don't have here, but uh, Marshalls, TJ Maxx, Trader Joe's, Sprouts, Ross, uh, and other little grocery outlets. So that's that's kind of how, um, yeah. The, it's a it's a pretty big group and, and mostly necessity based. So you can kind of think of uh, the kinds of of shopping centers they own. Uh, in that sense, you know, I can think of several here in town uh, that you know have an Albertsons and the next door to it, there's an Ace, and then there's a bookstore down the you know the way. There's a little pancake place on the one people from Missoula will know what I'm talking about there, but, uh, yeah. So, um, those are the kinds of shopping centers they have. So not, not a mall based thing and not, not like an outlet center thing. Like you might have Tanger factory outlets, uh, that is another kind of popular uh, retail play that way. That's, that's got hurt pretty bad, but, um, yeah. What would have to happen for you to sell this for me to sell this? Um, (laughs) <laughs> that that might be saying a lot because i held on through the pandemic you know yeah, and, uh, and yeah, that, yeah. That, that's the other thing is you know i'm not that kind of shows you my risk tolerance so i'm not really concerned about that kind of volatility like i kind of look at that position I'm like yeah oh well you know and i look at it and i, and I re-examine it and i say oh they'll be fine over the long term and i held and and uh you know in retrospect it would have been a great idea to buy some more shares before it popped 40 percent before it's q3 report but the um I think I would be really concerned um, if if Stuart Tans left for some reason, that would shock me uh, and really make me um, consider getting you know just cutting bay at that point because that would make me think like, okay, what's he doing? Uh, so he's a deal maker with a history of prudence and consistent outperformance, and and i'd I'd really consider selling if he left. Uh, I would also be concerned um, if portfolio lease rates fell significantly. They haven't for a really long time. Um, you know, even to, to know that even during the pandemic, their portfolio lease rates, you know, I think they've only fallen over the last year, like 90 basis points. So still sticking around nearly 97%. So uh, it's a testament to the demand for their properties and the, the strength of their strategic portfolio building. So I'd be really concerned. Uh, one, if we saw a steady, significant decline in portfolio lease rates. Um, but the more kind of shocking, wow, I might sell my shares would be 10s leaving so
1: okay is there, and, oh god uh,
0: is there anything i think i know your answer is there anything tied to the pandemic that could cause you to sell so like if vaccine let's say was a uh, pump fake and uh, it wasn't coming out for another two years and we we felt like lockdowns were going to go on for a lot longer or have they sort of proven to shareholders that they can thrive in this environment too um
2: if I guess there's a big caveat that, you know, potentially we haven't seen the worst of it, you know? So there's all these people talking about this horrible winter we're about to hit and uh, you know, they're starting to roll out vaccines and we have record numbers of cases and stuff uh, that they haven't gone, you know, and retraced and said, you know what, we're not going to pay our dividend. We're unsure again. Um, But it it would, it would really hurt shares uh, if they came out and said, you know what, we're not going to pay our dividend in the first quarter, uh, even though we said we would a month and a half ago <laughs> that would, right. you know, you would see shares plummet if that happened because it would be a sort of an anti-vote of confidence. Uh, so that, that, uh, that would, that would hurt, but, uh, I don't think it's going to happen at this point. I think if they were, they were, that they were comfortable enough to say we're going to reinitiate our payout in the first quarter. Uh, and you know, they're, that they're comfortable enough says a lot. So
0: I don't think they would have done that aggressively either. Like, I think that was probably a conservative choice. Like, no, yeah, yeah, and that's
2: definitely. sort of the 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 way they function is is it's this history of very cautious, prudent moves. And uh, and part of the reason I was willing to hang on uh, to this company is because I trusted management to that end. You know, I've I've listened to their conference calls for ten years and owned the company for seven, and you know, covered them at my previous employer for the majority of the time i was there and uh and it's just one of those things where you kind of you you get to know uh the way they speak and to gauge their um to to gauge their sentiment uh and they don't there's there's no real head fakes with them they don't mislead people they they tell it like it is and that was you know a lot of we saw a lot of that when they were talking about the the current Um, environment for acquisitions. And, you know, that, that they're actually sort of like, well, you know, we're still, you know, it's disappointing for an investor to hang on, especially if you're a short-term investor to watch them not buy additional properties. But uh, by the same token, you have to say, you know what, I'd rather they not buy anything than make a bunch of bad deals and overpay for everything. And uh, that's just not their MO. So uh, it's, it's, it's nice to, to kind of just be able to trust and, and kick back and, and just keep collecting the dividend uh, you know even though there was a, a short hiatus uh, in that in that dividend payout, but not going to miss a, a a single quarter so
1: okay, and is there any change you would like ROIC to to make um, say you could do anything what what would it be
2: um, not really uh, i I trust them, and that's that 's kind of where I am uh, you know i i I like the business. You know and um and i'll I'll continue to hang on, but there's really no uh I'm not sort of in this position of authority to tell them how to do their jobs better, and that's part of my thesis for the company is that I trust that management knows how to best navigate this market right. and uh you know it's not a huge position for me, but it's large enough to be you know it's large enough to to make a difference over the long term as as we keep collecting that dividend, so
0: yeah, we've gotten. I mean, that's that's usually a good sign if the answer is no, I don't have anything because if you're if you're a retail investor yeah. and you're like, yeah, I'm going to own shares, but I need this one huge change to happen. It's like yeah. maybe you shouldn't
2: own shares. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not an activist investor, nor do I have the, the capital to play that game. But even if I did, I wouldn't ask them to change anything.
1: Right. And I guess this is maybe more of a broader question, but do you see this as something that can almost be like a barbell approach where you have this really stable company Now, granted, they had a few quarters of just whatever the pandemic hit retailers. There's nothing they could do about it. But in normal environments, you know, you got this really stable company throwing off cash to your portfolio and then, you know, weight that with some higher growth stocks. Is that how you think about it at all?
2: Yeah. Um, You know, and I, I, I don't mind just hanging on to this. Actually, the shares I own, I think are in a Roth IRA. And I'm like, you just, you know, keep. Keep just reinvesting, hang on for the long term, and uh, you know the majority of my portfolio is in other uh, pretty high growth, uh, some really volatile names. You guys know that you know from watching our our stuff at Seven Investing, and uh, but yeah, it, it's it's uh, I think it's worth having a stake. Uh, I wouldn't build an entire portfolio around it, but I think it's a it's a fantastic business that's great for income investors who are looking for um, you know some decent potential for not only income, but share price appreciation at the same time. So,
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the ticker is ROIC. That, if, <laughs> if anything shouts stability, that's
2: it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I think that's all the questions we have. Uh, Steve, thank you for joining us. Where can people find you?
2: Oh, you can find me, uh, all of our stuff at seveninvesting.com uh, or at Steve on Twitter. I also man, you know, their email inboxes and and uh all of our regular handles, the at seven investing handle on Twitter too. But uh we're probably too active there. But uh Yeah. The, you, the, you know, the, yeah.
1: the best part about uh your guys' service is you are so reachable. Um which, yeah. you know, so it's give true. give and take, right? The, yeah.
2: Yeah. I responded to an email in like 20 seconds yesterday and someone was like, is this really you? <laughs> was that an auto email? No, yes it is. But I just happened to be holding my phone with my wife, probably saying like, Hey, you know, put your phone down. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So it's, it's uh yeah. We're, we're almost kind of manic about, uh, we're obsessive about responding, but uh, and being accessible, but yeah, at seven investing Steve on Twitter, if you want to DM me, I'm always, I'm always responding. So.
0: Perfect. Perfect. All right. We want to remind our listeners that we are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.